Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. If you're a regular listener to the program, you know a little something about IRS CI or IRS criminal investigations. If you don't, here's a quick summary. Just over 100 years ago, the then-serving Commissioner of Internal Revenue, Daniel C. Roper, created what was called the Intelligence Unit to investigate widespread allegations of tax fraud. The unit consisted of six United States Post Office inspectors who were transferred to the Bureau of Internal Revenue. The intelligence unit quickly became renowned for the financial investigative skill of its special agents. In July 1978, the intelligence unit changed its name to Criminal Investigation, or CI. The rest, of course, is history. Earlier this year, I talked with the outgoing chief of the Criminal Investigation Division, Don Fort. Chief Fort retired earlier this year in September. Today, I'm very excited to host his successor, Chief Lee. Jim Lee serves as the Chief of Criminal Investigation. In this position, he oversees a worldwide staff of approximately 3,000 employees, including 2,000 special agents in 21 field offices and 11 foreign countries. He leads and oversees some of the most significant investigations of financial crimes involving tax, money laundering, public corruption, cyber, ID theft, narcotics, and terrorist financing. Prior to this assignment, Jim's executive positions included serving as the Director of Field Operations North, Director of Field Operations South, Director of Strategy, and Executive Special Agent in charge of the Chicago Field Office. Jim has a bachelor's degree from Tiffin University, and I'm so excited to have you on the program today. Thank you so much, Chief Lee, for being here. Thank you so much, Kelly. So um, I think a lot of our listeners, since you're new to this position, though clearly not new to CI, um, don't know a lot about how you got started. So I think it would be really um, interesting to our listeners to find out, like, how did you become chief of CI? What kind of led to that? Yeah, no, thanks. And I, I uh, really you know, appreciate you giving me the opportunity you know, here to talk about myself a little bit, uh, but really about CI. And I just hope that you and all your listeners are staying safe out there in these crazy times. And appreciate the introduction with that uh, list of jobs you went off. It almost makes it sound like I can't hold down a job, but appreciate the <laughs> uh, the background of CI and, and, and that introduction. And I maybe the one thing I would add just real quick, if you don't mind, because a lot of people, you know, ask, well, gosh, I mean, you're, you're, you're a law enforcement agency, but you work for the IRS. And I, so I sometimes like to say, you know, put some context around that. And, and from like an IRS relevance perspective, we play a significant deterrent role with, uh, really within the service. And, and the reason, the way I see it and say this often, the reason that, that we play such a significant deterrent role is that people need to know that there's a consequence for being willfully non-compliant. And the consequence is jail time, you know, which is far different than paying a fine to resolve an issue. So right. just thought, thought I'd add that. But I mean, you know, you asked me, you know, how did I get here? And I've really been all over the country. I mean, I, I took the job and started the position 
it's really, I, I've worked for, for IRSCI my, pretty much my entire uh, adult. You know, I started off as an agent in Detroit. That's where I did all my field work. And, you know, this really, all the experiences from these jobs has really, you know, kind of molded me and who I am today and has kind of led me here. But just for some context, uh, to show you some of the different uh, diverse areas I've been in, started off in Detroit. I then went down to, uh, and I'm from Ohio, you know, some Midwest guy, went down to Baton Rouge as a frontline supervisor, night and day from what I was used to. Never been in the state of Louisiana before, but loved that position. That had to be some culture shock because I did the reverse. I came from North Carolina to Philadelphia, so I get it. That's, they're different worlds. Very much so, but the, just the culture, the people, the food, everything, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, uh, that position. You know, and I did my stint as an analyst here through D.C. Uh, the majority of the time, I was overseas because I worked out of our international section. Then I went out to the East Coast. I was our assistant special agent in Boston. I was responsible for uh, states of the New England states of Massachusetts, uh, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. I then loved Louisiana so much, I went back there as our special agent in charge. And, you know, essentially that's the position. I was the head of the office. And then from there, you mentioned, you know, I was the executive special agent in charge in Chicago. And then all those other jobs you mentioned that made it sound like I couldn't hold down a job, those were all back <laughs> in D.C. So for about the past year, year and a half or so, I was actually the deputy chief. And I worked with prior chief Don for on a day-to-day basis until uh, becoming the chief. So that's really, you know, been my my path, you know, to this chief position, right? You know. All those positions I mentioned, that's like our secession planning, uh, planning to a T. Mm-hmm. You know, I've either worked or supervised or had oversight over every program area that you can do as an agent. I mean, so I really know the job from the inside out. And my specialty, I would say, has always been tax work. But as you, you've laid a number of program areas out, narcotics, you know, public corruption, counterterrorism, I mean... All of those, all of those areas I've worked in, which really has me, you know, that along with, you know, the, the diversity I have from being around the country, really around the world, really has really uh, set me up well to be the uh, chief of CI. You mentioned that you really liked uh, Louisiana. Do you have like a special moment or like a time in your career that you look back on that you thought, if I weren't the chief, that was a really great time to work with IRSCI? Did you have like a, you know, just a particular, either a, a moment where you made a significant arrest or just a place that you really liked being that was kind of maybe shaped who you are today? No, uh, that's a great question. There's a lot of them. I think um, when I think about Louisiana, I'll, I'll stick there. I probably have, uh, well, I can come up with uh those are probably topics uh, in and of themselves uh, for every office I've been in. Because again, like I said, it's pretty much been my entire adult career. You know, something that's pretty unique. And, you know, I really learned a lot about the CI culture, you know, as a law enforcement, as a federal law enforcement agency, six largest, by the way. When I did my first tour or my first assignment down in uh, Baton Rouge, kind of a unique story. I was down there when Katrina hit Louisiana. And now I, I lived in Baton Rouge at the time, you know, about an hour and 20 minutes kind of north of uh, New Orleans. And um, an interesting story, all my the law enforcement is a tight-knit community anyway. 
But the IRSCI, I mean, we really do fancy it as a family. And at the time Katrina was approaching, you know, I was actually in Fort Lauderdale on leave. And, um, you know, the storm hit Fort Lauderdale as a Category 1 storm. And then we saw it heading towards Louisiana. I had probably, I think, the majority of my group and field office that knew I was down there. You know, not only calling and saying, what is going on? Are you, are you okay? You know, my family, we came back as quick as we could. We had to fly into Shreveport, if you're familiar with the state. We were the only mm-hmm. car driving south. Uh, all the other lanes were going north to evacuate. And um, I think what, what I learned about the CI family, why, <laughs> why I'm so dedicated and so loyal to it, I mean, there was a lot of destruction there, as you know. And uh, I think I, I learned a lot about the employees, all the employees within the office, because everybody just um, lended a hand. You know, to help each other out, whether it was gutting houses or removing trees or helping search for people. I mean, the, the whole community really came together and specifically, you know, the employees within CI. So very proud of that, very proud of that office at that time. Uh, many more like it, but that's one. You mentioned that life in law enforcement as a group is pretty close, you know, and tight knit. Did you know growing up that you wanted to be in law enforcement or did it just kind of evolve? <laughs> Another interesting question, and I, uh, I've I've often asked my mother, you know, for this. I do recall, you know, back uh, when I was in grade school, probably in the fifth or sixth, maybe fourth or fifth grade, let's say, because I remember it. It was in crayon, <laughs> where you know it was, a, it was like an assignment. What do you want to be when you grow up? And for whatever reason, at the time, you know, uh, on this sheet, it was it was an FBI agent, FBI agent. I, you know, I, I don't even think I knew. At, well, I definitely didn't know then. I'm trying to think when. I think when I even applied for the special agent position, I didn't, I, I didn't even know at the time when I was applying for it was a Treasury uh, agency exam that I took. I don't. I didn't. I didn't even know IRS had a criminal arm. I was applying to be like a Secret Service or an ATF agent at the time. Um, and it wasn't until uh, you know I got the call from IRS and I. I, I mentioned, I said, well, you know, I'm not really looking to come in and be a, a civil auditor. And they said, no, 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 no. Come on in. We'll talk to you. And um, I ended up going and in, interviewing in Detroit. And uh, literally uh, that next morning, like 10 a.m., I got the call and, and, and was offered the job. And, and, and now I'm 25, you know, going on 26 years later. Uh, I'm the chief of CI. <laughs> So what was it about the interview or the position that made you think, okay, I know I wanted to do Secret Service, but IRS sounds pretty interesting. Like, was there something that came up where you're like, you know what, I, I think I could be good at this? Well, you know, the fact that they were trying to recruit me to play on their softball team, I mean, helped a lot. But I think what sold me and what I didn't know is that, you know, again, you think you would most of your listeners that, that don't know CI or anybody actually not just your listeners anybody. I mean, you would think that IRS is you know purely a civil agency, but the reality of it is, you know, IRS. Uh, I have the ability to essentially work on any type of investigation there is. You know, I I, I often say, you know, that we can get involved pretty much in any case other than random acts of violence, and I, I say that because. You know, uh, Brandon Max violence is, is, is right now in the moment. But every other case, the primary driver 
of committing that crime is money-related. People are doing it for some financial benefit. And, you know, because of that, we can, the, 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 the broad programs, the broad types of investigations, real criminal investigations we can get involved in, just a broad range is, is really what convinced me that, hey, that's what I'm really looking for. And, you know, and again, kind of the rest is history. Like I said, I've worked in probably every program area, you know, that, that we have. Right. And so when you talk about how things relate to money, of course, being a tax attorney, I know that very well. But, you know, some of the kinds of things that you guys handle, especially when it comes to the web, I don't think people think of as tax related. So cyber crimes, I mean, I think that people don't, and terrorists, I don't think people think tax. Can you maybe walk us through some of what you um, have been doing, especially maybe uh, some of the highlights from last year? that had to do with those kinds of cases or other cases that you found notable? Yeah, I mean, so like when we start talking about cyber and and tech and crypto, like it is an interesting, you know, arena because like when I when I think of cyber killing, I think a lot of people automatically think crypto. And cyber to me I I kind of bucket it a little bit differently. I kind of bucket cyber into like four areas, you know, like you know, social media, you, know, you got open source information that's out there. You got the internet, you know, the, mm-hmm. the internet in general, as everybody knows it. And then, you know, we, most of us have heard about, you know, web, dark web marketplaces. And then the fourth bucket is really that crypto kind of that block chain area when it comes to tech. And, you know, we've done a lot. You know, over the past year, we, it's been highly publicized. So we've had a lot of success. And, you know, I, what I would say is, you know, you can't deny, you know, the, the impact that Go has had really on the world, you know, the global economy, day-to-day commerce. I was uh, talking uh, just the other day where you can buy, you know, a coffee or a sandwich, you know, with crypto now. So, right. We class, the IRS classifies it as, you know, property. So there's a, you know, direct intersection with our tax system. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll mention a couple of cases. I mean, you know, the dominant amount of the public-facing criminal, you know, cases that we've gotten involved in really have become worldwide experts have been crypto uh, cases involving, you know, money laundering uh, charges. However, you know, recently we've really started seeing some and these, they're, they're, this was this is out there. This has been pu- publicly available. Uh, you know, our first criminal cases involving tax charges in crypto, and you know, a couple of those cases, uh, that John McAfee case. You know, I think a lot of people have heard of that, and he was charged with evading taxes after failing to report, you know, income made from uh, promoting, you know, crypto. Some of that was actually crypto that he didn't report. And then, you know, the, recently there was a Microsoft employee that received the first sentencing of a, a crypto case, Bitcoin to be specific, you know, that had a tax component. So crypto makes the, the you know, following financial transactions really complicated, but that's what mm-hmm. we specialize in, you know, following the right. money, no matter how complicated. And I, I think um, you know, once you get past what crypto is, I mean, it's just like following, you know, any, any money trail. And we've had... Yeah, like as you initially mentioned, we've had a lot of success. The best in the government, I'd say. I let me just circle back. I, I some of those money laundering cases 
you know, we've gotten a lot of notoriety for. I, 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 you know, I can talk about any one of them, but, you know, that welcome to video case, a large darknet marketplace for child exploitation got a lot of publicity, you know, around the world. Right. Helix, that was, a, that was like a $300 million, a million worth of crypto was laundered through like a tumbling mixer service. It was mainly dealt with narcotics, you know, the Twitter hack, and probably the most recent was the, uh, the, the dismantling of three terrorist financing cyber, you know, campaigns involving, you know, crypto fundraising, you know, for terrorist organizations was, was probably the most recent, you know, major success we had. But I expect, you know, kind of moving forward here into the future, you know, over the next year, I expect a lot more of those types of cases, as well as you know, in the actual tax arena, which is what we we actually specialize in. So I followed that, uh, the terrorist case I actually covered. One of the things that struck me, and it's actually one of the things I've been long uh, kind of fascinated about when it comes to IRSCI is I think folks assume that, and it's because of the, I think the public perception of IRS as being completely a a civil audit kind of uh, organization. I think that people assume that when you're going after somebody, you're looking at a 1040 and you're like, you know, they lied on their 1040, right? But then when you look at something like the dark web cases, or you look at something like the terrorist organizations, those are really bad people. <laughs> those are people with, with guns and resources and they can be scary. How do you as the chief kind of handle that? Because I would think that it would be, and I understand it's what law enforcement does, but I would think it would be daunting to be tracking down, for example, a terrorist organization or a global crime organization that could be anywhere? Like, how do you lead under those circumstances? Another great question. And um, I think kind of uh, summarized, uh, you know, my answer, right? I, um, you know, the folks, the the men and women, the 3,000 total, that 2,000 special agents, as you mentioned, when you opened up, but the men and women of CI, and they sign up for this job. And in fact, why they sign up knowing that, you know, I'll throw a couple of stats at you. 70% of what we do is tax or tax related. You know, that other 30% does fall into these other areas that you just mentioned. The more, the more, um, you know, criminal aspects or criminal organizations that tend, I'll say, to be, you know, more violent and our agents uh, actually sign up for that. Now, look, you know, working, um, you know, all hours of the night out until four in the morning, you know, surveilling drug organizations and doing this type of uh, counterterrorism work and interacting, you know, with our uh, public-private partnerships and, you know, and specifically our federal partners, you know, uh, law enforcement uh, partners, you know, with the Bureau and DEA and ATF, HSI, all of them. I mean, that takes a special kind of agent. I mean, because, again, the hours are different, but at the end of the day, all these agents are dedicated, you know, to our mission. That's why once we get them and once, they, once they're here and they're actually working this job, they don't want to leave, you know, because, again, the casework is so broad. I mean, there are some of those cases where you don't, you don't have to. Not every agent works those types of cases, but it's available if they want to. My last point there is it makes my job very easy. Because I've just got a lot of hungry agents out there just that just love the CI mission. They love federal law enforcement. And um, that's what they're signing up to do. 
Right. And so what I was going to ask um, kind of related to that is how has COVID impacted those jobs? Because I would think that if you're used to working a certain way, if you're wor- if you're used to doing surveillance in person, I don't know how much of it is done in person versus like over the web generally, but how has COVID changed what and how you guys operate? So that's another great question. I can tell you that, uh, you know, when COVID first came, you know, in that March timeframe is really when we kind of went to a mandatory telework, you know, situation. I mean, our agents never stopped working, but after we were, you know, realizing that we were going to that mandatory telework situation, we were, you know, up and running within a day, day and a half max. And I'm talking every employee. So that's a huge tech feat, right? And our, I give sure. a lot of props to our IT, you know, section and others, you know, that got that up and running. But you know, we, our agents responded. I, uh, you know, we immediately got involved, you know, around the country in significant media communications, hundreds, I'd say, predominantly in the field to warn people about, you know, fraudsters. Because we know through experience that anytime something like this happens, especially that much money being pumped into the uh, system, you know, there's going to be people there trying to take advantage of it. So our um, special agents have really, conti- you know, there's challenges. They've continued to investigate. While they understand that there are real emotional hardships out there and they can't be overlooked, there's a lot of people that are still in the thick of things. You know, our investigators investigate with compassion because they know people mm-hmm. are sick and they suffered loss. But uh, I'd say that the virtual environment has given us a chance to, you know, continue to address everybody and keep the business moving. Our major business measurements, you know, that, that I track from like a 30,000 foot level are good, surprisingly. Even though a lot of the courts and the grand juries are, are limited, you know, all around the country, and they they come back right. on, and but predominantly they've been been off, and I think that might be something that I I just throw out there. We investigate the cases, and we gather the facts on all these types of criminal cases, but we need the Department of Justice, specifically the U.S. Attorney's offices around the country, DOJ, tax, actually prosecute cases. So that's where these courts and grand juries become so important. So, you know, I, I, I remember you talking to Don before, and I liked how he phrased this. We've talked about this a lot. We were focusing more on accomplishing our mission on behalf of the American public and, and less worried about where the work is actually being performed, meaning, you know, coming into an office every day. I mean, the uh, special agent job is a field job. You know, they got to be out mm-hmm. there talking to people. That's how they gather evidence, you know, conducting interviews. Uh, you know, that's Conducting interviews with that being said, you know, that hasn't been easy. That's been challenging because um, think about, you know, think about knocking on doors during this pandemic um, and then getting something, somebody to answer. I mean, we have a hard enough time, you know, knocking on doors and getting somebody to answer anyway, let alone, you know, <laughs> sure. in, in this pandemic. Um, virtual interviews are happening. Cooperative witnesses is easier, obviously, other than uncooperative witness. But some of the other stuff like, uh, you know, search warrants, you know, other types of enforcement actions, let's say. The only real change the agents have, uh, that I see, uh, that the agents are seeing in executing those enforcement actions, search warrants, arrests, et cetera, is outfitting them with their, the right equipment to make sure they feel uh, safe. So sure. um, I'm just continuing as a chief, again, my, I'm just continuing to push the timely investigation 
uh, and prosecution of these COVID fraud related cases because that creates, you know, as I mentioned, we're trying to create deterrence. We want people to know that there's a consequence for getting involved in this stuff. And so timely prosecution of those cases is uh, critical, you know, right now. And most of those cases, you know, have been also in the money laundering arena, you know, thus far. Um, there's some tax stuff out there as well. Most of it is money laundering. But we'll, we'll, just to kind of give you an idea, we're involved in hundreds of COVID cases. And we're, we're part of a, a bunch of national task forces right out of here, right out of D.C. And that's not even including, you know, what's happening in every judicial district around the country. But just to kind of give you an idea, our national tax, uh, task force, you know, that's just run out of D.C., just, just May, just this was through the end of, our, I think it was the middle of November was the last stat I got. We had just charged, criminally charged our 90th, 90 person in a COVID-related, you know, kind of PPP scheme. Wow. But that's just out of that strike force. And I guess I can't, that can't be overstated because the other 93 or 94 judicial districts around the country are doing it as well. This is just one national strike force. So it's, it's significant. And, and um, you know, maybe just a, just a comment on the types of COVID cases that we're, we're working. It's those PPP cases is dominantly what we're involved in. But we're also, you know, heavily involved in the economic impact payments. That's mainly, think of, um, you know, like identity theft and people stealing identification, uh, identifications to apply for those um, impact payment checks. The PPP, right. PPE, you know, that's them just selling, you know, counterfeit equipment. But uh, but the things that are coming, and again, we've got cases out there, but we're equally as interested in the uh, false claims on like state unemployment systems that's happening. Mm -hmm. And um, there's another uh, program, it's called the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. Right. Through the SBA. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think as of uh, the last major stat that I have, I just have a note here, you know, through September, 16 million applicants applied for that program and 300 billion was paid out. So, you know, we're, we're involved in some of those cases too. Right now, the PPP is just getting the most traction uh, uh, as we speak today, but expect a lot more to come here in the near future there as well. And I know when you guys get pulled into some of these types of cases, it's through other organizations. So you're working with partner organizations. How much of the COVID cases is like that and how much of it is based on tips? Because I know that the IRS and the SBA have both been very aggressive about asking taxpayers who see fraud with PPP and those kinds of programs to report them. So how much of that is tips and how much of it is you're just being asked or, or, or how, many, how much of it do you just stumble upon in your other work? You know, that's a good question. I don't have a specific thing for you there, but I can tell you that we we are part and participate in, they, they, they actually refer to it as the National Center for Disaster Fraud. You know, and that is a unit set up to actually receive tips. So we generate cases from there. You know, clearly we generate, you know, cases in every judicial district we're in from our, from, well, whether it's sources that we have or from our law enforcement partners. And then, you know, our, uh, and then, you know, plus including some of our OIG partners. And you mentioned, you know, SBA earlier. I mean, that national task force I, I mentioned here out of DC, uh, 
you know, you have organizations like the, you know, SBA and Postal and HSI and, and you know, the, the FBI and us. And so, again, there's, um, we were sourcing and um, developing COVID-related fraud, I mean, just as we would any other crime. And just keeping up with it <laughs> is sure. a challenge. But we're, you know, look, we, uh, I could probably have every single agent in the country work on a COVID-related crime. But, you know, we have a, we have a lot, we have a broad program range. And, and um, I focus my attention and direction a lot on balance. You know, but clearly... You know, we're, we're, we're going to do our part in making sure that we create the deterrent so we can put a stop to people who think they can, you know, steal money really from people who really need it because that's what's happening. Because, you know, right. I, 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 I mean, what sickens me, um, you know, if these related crimes is you know, every time that, uh, you know, we've got to investigate somebody, I mean, that's time that we could be spending investigating somebody else or, Every time that the SBA or these banks are processing claims that are completely fraudulent, I mean, those are hours that they can't get back where they could really be using that time to to process people for people who really need the money. And that's what just makes me sick about these uh, these crimes in general. Crimes of greed really is what it is. Right. And so coming up for the new year, obviously, the COVID cases are going to continue to be a priority. What other kinds of priorities do you see happening for 2021? There is another uh, conversation that I could spend probably another segment with you on, but just uh, what I really see, just I'll give you maybe at the top two or three. I really see staying with our tax mission focus. I mean, that's our, that's my top priority. That's, that's my division's top priority. Um, I'm incredibly happy about that focus, you know, over the past Mm -hmm. several years. And and it, it makes sense because you know, uh, going back to the intro, nobody else can do that work. We're the only ones that can bring and recommend federal criminal tax charges. So that's where our funding comes from. That's how I remain relevant in front of my commissioner. I, I tell them, hey, this is, you, you give me resources. This is what I'm going to deliver, and this is what we can do. So that is going to be a huge focus of mine. You know, we've already talked a lot about, uh, well, we, we spent a couple of minutes on, you know, crypto and, and cyber crimes and that's going to be a, a a huge focus of mine as well, and and, and for the agents, you know, I, I mentioned you know the open source, you know the social media, you know the data, the cyber related stuff. I mean, I'm I'm also going to focus on how to manipulate all that data, so we can. And I'm charging people within my division to figure out how are we going to we can get all this data, and we're legally entitled to it, by the way. And but now once we've got it, our our, our challenge now is how do we how do we put it all together, connect all the dots to make us more efficient? We're good at it. We, we demonstrated we're good at it in silos, but I want it to be broadened for the entire country. And I, I think the the last thing um, that I'll mention to you, is, uh, and I can't, I've got to mention this, you know, we have a new office of fraud enforcement, you know, within the service. Um, and it's mm-hmm. actually led by a prior uh, CI guy, uh, Damon Rowe, a guy that I know well. And, you know, they're, they're coordinating, um, you know, f- uh, uh, fraud uh, efforts, you know, for the entire service. So I'm going to be focusing a lot of attention, you know, maintaining, I already have a significant relationship with them, but maintaining and improving that relationship in the spirit of uh, case generation. 
and, and, and case development. So I expect you know, to be working closely with uh, that office, that new office, and really all the operating divisions within the service revolving around, you know, initiatives revolving around uh, uh, high income. These are all tax, by the way, uh, high income, global wealth, abuse of promoter investigations. We've had an emphasis on employment tax, and I'll keep that. Um, you know, partnerships. We've already talked about virtual currency. One of the ones that I'm, 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 I'm spending some time on right now, and we're going to have, uh, we're going to be looking at very carefully with the Office of Fraud Enforcement, are, um and some of the other operating divisions are these high-income non-filers. You know, again, we we like to pursue cases that uh, generally result in in, um, in in felony convictions. Again, that brings the biggest deterrent effect. Uh, and but this high-income non-filer is a, a charge for the service, and clearly, you know, we have uh, a non-filer program that's a priority of mine. And so, clearly, when this is a service enterprise-wide initiative that's out there. You better believe we're going to be knocking on doors and be involved. Sure. And I will say that I know that midway through last year, or I guess through 2020, I know that you, um, at least Chief Fort was encouraged because you guys were getting new agents. I know that funding has been a challenge. Do you anticipate things getting better for 2021 in terms of resources? I do. I shouldn't say getting better. What I would say is we've got a lot of support from our commissioner right now. You know, 2020, we had a lot of support, you know, to hire about 240 agents. And that's, okay. quite, we, that's about 24 agents per class that we set to our academy. And that's significant. And to run classes is significant. Now, we, we fell slightly short in fiscal year 20 because, you know, our agents go through like a rigorous medical screening, rigorous physical screening, you know, a lot of testing, the academy. And when clinics are shut down and then, you know, they can't bring you in to do your medical screenings and some of this proctored testing that happens for new applicants, that really slowed us down. But I do have the support for 21, fiscal year 21, for mm-hmm. 12 classes worth of agents, which, you know, we quote about 288. I talk about classes and agents, they're kind of synonymously because I got to get them trained before they can start to produce something, right? Sure, sure. So, so about two eighty eight for fiscal year twenty two, and and look, I um, I'm sorry, uh, fiscal year twenty one, and, and and even moving forward, I mean, my expectation of my twenty one field offices around the country is that we're producing results. So I put the commissioner, you know, in a position where it's hard for him to say no. Yeah, here's here's ten more classes. I mean, the service, I I, I want to produce results so that. I, I, he has to say yes to me because of all the great success we're having. And, you know, it's a little selfish on my part because we got a lot of great work going on in the service and everybody needs resources. I mean, resources right. are the number one asset, right? And, uh, but I'm going to, my goal is to make it hard for him to say no. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good goal. Um, yeah. So do you have any, any kind of final thoughts about what you hope to accomplish um, as the chief moving forward? I know you've mentioned some of the things that you're you're looking forward to, but is there anything that kind of stands out that when you got the gig, you thought this is the thing I want to do? You know, uh, interesting. A lot of it we've talked about already. Some of it was thrust upon me, you know, because of the uh, COVID pandemic and, um, you know, just really creating a turn impact there. I really want to equip 
the agents, you know, with the tools they need to do the work and keep our legacy up and running as the best financial investigators in the world. And so I mentioned, you know, some of that data manipulation earlier, and that's a lot of uh, data and analytics and technology. I, I want to really spend a lot of time in providing the agents with uh, that type of work. I also want to or that type, those types of tools to do the work, I should say. And I also want to make sure that I'm, you know, continuing to maintain and build, you know, relationships, not only inside the service and not only uh, domestically, but nationally. And, you know, maybe for another time, but I, I uh, fully uh, plan on spending a lot of time, you know, continuing to strengthen our partnership with our J5 community, Joint Chiefs of uh, Global and Tax Enforcement. I think you've probably mm-hmm. talked about that before, Don. And, yes. you know, that's, those are the criminal tax authorities, you know, and if I can't, Netherlands, the UK, and the US, my counterparts essentially, really collaborating, collaborating together to, you know, reduce the space that criminals actually have, you know, around the world, uh, especially in light of, you know, from your phone. I mean, you can move money with with a touch of a button, you know, so those, those relationships um, and sharing of information and collaboration, it's like a force multiplier and only makes it, makes us stronger. So I, uh, well, those things, I talked about the tax mission already. Clearly, that's going to be something that uh, I want to make sure that I cement in everybody's minds because, again, that's, that's what we do. That's, that's why we've established the legacy that we have is because we can follow the money. We're the best at it. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you guys are busy, and um, I appreciate it. And if uh, folks wanted to find you guys, I know that you're on social now. Um, where would you send them? You know, that, I'm so glad you asked that. This spring, we launched uh, a Twitter account. We got onto the social media platform. So you can follow us at the at symbol, IRS underscore CI. And I, I, I said this a couple of times, uh, you know, a little bit on the, so true, my, my, show you my sense of humor, at least try. You're not any more likely to be audited if you follow us on Twitter. So I think, uh, <laughs> You know, that, that's a great spot. That's good to know. Yeah, right. that's a great spot for, for people to follow us because, uh, again, we're really taking a dive into that uh, social media world and really trying to promote who we are so people understand. And, that, and you know what? That only helps our deterrent impact because we can do all the great work we want. But if we're not telling people about it, it doesn't create that deterrent impact that I'm striving for. Sure. And I will make sure to put that uh, link on the show notes for the listeners. Thank you again very much uh, for your time. I appreciate it. And have a great day. You too. Anytime. Thanks. Thanks. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.